Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today I'm talking to Michelle Ash, who is the chair for GMG, Global Mining Guidelines Group, um, who are a network of like-minded companies driving change in the mining industry which we will talk about later in this podcast. Let's get straight into this. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast, Michelle. No problems. It's great to be here. Yeah. We're conducting this over Skype as Michelle is in Canada. Actually, whereabouts in Canada are you? Uh, Toronto this morning. Toronto. Okay. So already for PDAC. Yes, absolutely. It's winding up here. Yeah. Right. So that's... get started. Um, so I just want to understand a little bit about your background. Yep. Um, so if you can tell me sort of how you got into the mining industry and sort of how your career's developed um, and just give us a, a brief over, me an overview and obviously the listeners as well. Yeah, sure. So I've, I've been in mining now 25 years. Um, I started in iron ore up in the Pilbara in Western Australia. Um, and then I actually got into mining accidentally. Originally, I was a civil engineer and an intended to build bridges and dams and roads. Yeah. Um, but uh, Rio Tinto, when I was a young graduate, picked me up because I'd done some weird uh, honours thesis in fractional mechanics and they were doing blasting um, technology. And uh, they sent me up to site as a blasting engineer. And once you've seen your work move mountains and, uh, you know, blast in, in front of your eyes, then you're sucked into that industry. Yeah. And, and I've loved mining ever since. bit more exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Literally moving mountains with the things that you do. Yeah. Um, but yet, the mining industry is, is a fabulous industry to work in. I've, I've worked all around the world yeah. um, in, you know, 20 or so countries. I've lived in, you know, six or seven different countries. Uh, I've done underground open cut mining. Um, I've worked for bulks and uh, also precious metals and base metals. And most recently worked for Barrett Gold as their chief innovation officer. So really trying to look at how technology can now enable the mining industry and and transform our industry. So very exciting times for for mining. And obviously throughout your career, where would you say you've sort of been most enjoyed yourself? Do you know, that is so hard uh, because I've I've loved working in Australia, but I also – you know, Africa and different countries of Africa were, were fantastic. Most recently, I, I lived and worked in Tanzania, which is such a beautiful country, wonderful people, um, you know, in Mount Kilimanjaro and, and uh, Zanzibar and places like that to visit as well as, uh, as you know, working in the industry. So, it's yeah. really, it's, it's been great all over. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, you work for some of the, the big companies out there, Leighton's, obviously, of, of yep. Australia, which obviously they've changed their name, yes. MMG, Barrett Gold, Arcasia. Um, what's the major differences, would you say, between some of those big companies? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have worked either for or around all the majors, so Rio Tinto, BHP, yep. um, Barrick, obviously, in the gold side of things. And then for small companies, you know, so as you said, MMG, smaller company, yeah. Acacia, much smaller company. You know, I think that the, the difference is um, often with the smaller companies, you get a lot more flexibility and a lot more uh, breadth 
in the roles that you do, uh, just, you know, by necessity, um, you know, whereas I think in the larger companies, they have the opportunity to specialise. But, you know, similarly, often the smaller companies, they're, they're smaller mines, less profitable. You've really got to eke out, you know, every last uh, inch of profit. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that the that the advantage the majors have, and, you know, I think it's similar between Rio, BHP and, and Barrick, they've got such wonderful ore bodies that it gives you a lot of opportunity as well to really, you know, try some 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 different ways of uh, of mining and and processing. Um, so you know, it's 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 great working for both. And I've also worked for um, Mitsubishi and for MMG, which is uh, China Min Metals. And yep. so real also really interesting trying to understand how um, you know more eastern companies work, think, and, and there is a difference between working for an Eastern uh, sort of company and, and a Western style company, just in terms of planning horizons and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, the way they go about doing things. So, you know, that's been a wonderful experience too. Would you say it's pretty challenging then working for maybe uh, a Western type country compared to an Eastern type country and what, what would be the major differences? So, they, look, they each have their challenges. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, working for for Eastern style country, mm. companies, um, there's a lot more discussion about um, the strategy. The strategy is often a, a longer term, um, you know, five, ten, twenty, and, and sometimes even longer um, in terms of the, the duration. Uh, I think while some of those discussions take longer, once the decision has been made, then there's absolute commitment to to that direction and and the strategy and and the uh, the resourcing behind that, um, you know, I think sometimes with the the Western companies, we make decisions a lot faster. We're more nimble. We move across uh, the landscape a lot faster. But I think sometimes that means that we can deviate and uh, you know not always see some of the strategies uh, through um, in the same way. Yeah, I want to obviously now talk about more about your I suppose specialisation. Um, what would you say that the new trends are in technology um, and where is sort of technology going within the mining industry? Yeah, so look, I think there's some really interesting trends, you know, not only starting to occur, but but have occurred. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, Industry 4.0 and, you know, IoT, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I think what that boils down to is, you know, connectivity now is so much cheaper, so much faster. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about some meshing technology that they were developing and which basically allows you to, you know, connect uh, devices together um, on, on the back of each other. And, you know, five years ago, that would have been a really interesting piece of technology in the mining industry. But now because things like, you know, satellite comms or even LTE networks, 5G, 4G networks are so much cheaper um, and easy to, easier to implement. The product is, is most probably, um, you know, not going to be as successful. Um, mm. So, you know, I think c- communication speed and communication price coming down. I think computing speed and, again, cost coming down. So, you know, cloud computing now um, and using, you know, whether it be, you know, AWS or Google or Microsoft or any of those sort of major server uh, organizations just allows us access to really high speed good quality computing um, sensor technology you know the cost of sensors now coming down dramatically so you know we even see in our own daily lives you can buy uh, you know sweatshirts now that actually measure your temperature measure yeah. your how much you're sweating etc that that same 
cheap applications we can put into mining to whether it's to monitor the health of our employees, monitor the environment that we put people into, monitor the equipment, um, you know, even track people and equipment underground now in ways that we could, couldn't do even two years ago. Um, so I think those three things absolutely are coming together to really allow us now to make much better predictions, much better plans, you know, understand our operations, our people, our um, geology much better. And then I think the other side of it, uh, which is we're st seeing starting to develop, is things like uh, robotics. Now, whether that robotics is applied to machinery, you know, automated trucks are really just, you know, roboticized equipment, yeah. um, or whether that is to, you know, more standard sort of robots where we can send, you know, for maintenance, for um, inspection, et cetera, where we can now remove people from hazardous uh, activities and and use these robots. Um, you know, again, the, the cost of these are coming down dramatically. You know, only a few years ago when I was working in pulp and paper briefly, uh, you know, a very basic robot that would pack um, cartons uh, would cost a few million dollars. You know, now that same robot, or sorry, a, a different robot, but now robotics for a few hundred thousand, even sometimes less, um, you know, tens of thousands, you know, you can have a, a really um, a highly capable uh, piece of machinery. So I think robotics, it, whether it be automated uh, activities, even in the background of um, back office, so, you know, things such as um, accounts payable, et cetera, being able to take out a lot of that sort of repetitive work, do things faster, more efficiently. Um and then, you know, there's some newer trends that are coming through, like blockchain, I think, is actually going to be a really interesting technology in the mining industry, whether it be for, um, you know, tracking our goods and making yeah. sure that we can prove to consumers exactly, you know, where those goods have come from, or more importantly, the attributes of those goods, you know, so how much carbon went into it, you know, was it with cyanide or not, um, you know, how much community input or um, benefit went into production of those goods, or whether it's things like smart contracts, uh, again, which will allow cost to come out of the system by, you know, transacting more automatically, um, you know, contractual services or, or contracts, um, you know, or whether it be, you know, other ways of, of selling or distributing um, products, you know, so with yeah. some of those asset tokens and things like that. Um, you know, there's some really interesting um, solutions and options for our industry. So, you know, I think a lot of these trends are happening. Um, I think what's going to be really interesting is when some of these technologies actually come together, you know, when they start uh, integrating. So a little bit like the iPhone, you know, is now a phone, it's a diary, it's a camera, it's a, you know, video device, it's all sorts of um, things that we used to have separately, you know. Yeah. I am old enough to remember we're what yeah. actually I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have mobile phones, but um, you know when you used to carry around a separate video, a separate camera, a separate yeah. phone. Um, once those things start coming together, I think that's when you get really interesting solutions. So yeah. you know, as a mining industry, once we start using automation and AI and robotics together, um, and really then start redesigning our minds. So we have, you know, minds that, you know, don't have people at the coalface. They might be working elsewhere, but, you know, we don't have people underground. We don't have people um, in the operations. That's when you can really start changing, uh, you know, a lot of the capital aspects, you know, fundamentally changing the size of 
um, you know, drives or uh, ventilation systems or, you know, other systems that uh, that we have. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, obviously, you mentioned like automate, uh, automation and um, blockchain. Yeah. Um, on my earlier podcast, I interviewed John Wellborn of Resolute Mining, yeah. um, which is the well. first, which is obviously the first automated underground mine operation and obviously if anyone wants to listen to that that's an uh, obviously an earlier episode yeah um but also i interviewed um some guys out of canada who work for cobalt blockchain Mm -hmm. so again you mentioned about blockchain and the i know that type of uh i suppose arrangement in terms of the mining company and how they how they're gonna develop a new mining not necessarily mining method but a new whole mining strategy in terms Mm -hmm. of how they get product to to market so again that's another episode that will come out and they they tell you how they're actually doing it so it's interesting yeah we're talking about those um talking about those topics yeah absolutely and i I would recommend that your readers do listen to both those podcasts because i know both those uh, well i know john and i know that organization and they're doing some really interesting things i mean i think sayama being the first automated underground mine in africa Will really show that um, that it is no different in Africa. That that these really interesting technologies, interesting uh, uh, ways of mining, are just mm. as applicable. Which you know, the great thing is it opens up resources that currently uh, we would consider uneconomic, that yeah. suddenly become economic. And the the cobalt gods. I mean, the, the one thing I really think is interesting with what they're doing is they're actually changing the business model and yeah, really okay. trying to yeah. bring artisanal miners out of the black economy into the white economy. And, you know, that will transform lives. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited about some of the things that they're doing. Yeah. Going on from that then, um, what sort of new skills would you say mining professionals need to need to learn and need to know around sort of all this new technology that's coming into play? Yeah. So, look, it's a great question because there's some really – there's some – relatively obvious ones. So, you know, we all are going to have to understand a lot more about AI, about sensors, about, you know, the basics of automation, uh, you know, even just understanding a bit about blockchain and, and uh, you know, other technologies. Maybe not enough to, you know, certainly not enough to be programmers unless, you know, you're some of the young people coming into the industry. And then I really would be encouraging, you know, mining engineers to get some good coding skills, um, you know, and, and those sorts of things so they understand and can even do things you know, a little bit for themselves. But, you know, even an older professional like myself, we really need to understand these technologies and how they are applied and, and what makes sense um, rather than being fearful from the, about them because we don't, you know, quite understand them. Um, you know, and then there's some, you know, less obvious ones such as, you know, even things like um, humanistic design. You know, one of the things we found with uh, when we were implementing uh, some of the uh, examples in, in Barrack was, to, you know, two things. One, we had to use agile methodologies. So, you know, even though we we planned and had the strategy from sort of, um, you know, in a normal sense, uh, when we delivered, we really had to work uh, with the guys that were going to be using the product. So very customer-centric. Um, and the idea around that is really to ensure that we get the behavioural change as rapidly as possible. You know, so the technology is just an enabler and it's, you know, it's frankly about 30% of the problem. 70% of the solution is really around how do you get people to use it? How does it work in the workplace? How do you change your processes? And all of that has got to be really on the ground. You know, So these agile skills, um, I think, are you know fundamentally important. 
but also things like, as I said, humanistic design. How do you design something so that people really want to use it, makes it easy to use? You know, it's a bit like, again, you know, I keep using the iPhone example, but yeah. it's just one that we understand. You know, iPhones are just so simple to use. Even my my mum, who's, uh, you know, 75, can pick an iPhone up and, and use the apps um, or at least use some of the apps. It has to be that intuitive and that easy to use and that that comfortable to use. Um, yeah. So humanistic design is, is another one. And then there's, you know, there's even things like ethics. You know, just because we can do something, should we? Um, you know, contemplating the impact of some of these technologies, you know, on our workforce, on the communities, and then trying to think through, well, how do we, you know, how do we resolve some of those issues and how do we um, use these technologies to the benefit of, yeah. you know, communities and governments? Um, yeah, so I think there's some really interesting new skills um, that, that are starting to come into industry, even things like sociology and anthropology, um, you know, now become a lot more important as you try to, you know, engage with people and and, and get people to start using these technologies, uh, mm. as I said, to, to the betterment of both, both the, the organisation but also, uh, you know, those groups. Yeah. Would you say some of these new skills that people need to learn, do they need to change some of the, the degree courses perhaps as well? Or yeah. does, does, is, are companies responsible for developing these new skills within within the workplace or could it be a bit of both? Yeah, look, I think it's a bit of both. And, you know, I've been speaking to a number of um, universities recently, both in Australia and, and in Canada, um, and I think certainly degree courses need to change. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to add some of these new skills at least into those courses or you know, provide courses for people that, you know, so, you know, whilst mining engineering, for example, might be a four-year degree, maybe a five-year degree would add on some computer science or add on some technology aspects um, to give people those options. I think the the other thing that would be super useful, and you're starting to see this come out, is some of those micro courses where, you know, whether it be online, preferably, because then that, you know, it gets gives people access yeah. Um, you can do some of these micro sort of courses where, you know, as a young professional or an older professional, if I want to know about, um, you know, iOS coding or uh, I want to know about blockchain, I can do some of those courses online so that I can, you know, continue to upgrade my skills. And there's some really interesting business models um, where, you know, I can do the course for free, but if I want the credentials, then I need to pay. And that, that gives people yeah. that option to you know, to understand, but also, you know, if, if it's important, um, you know, to build that sort of credential background, um, you know, then you can do that as well. Um, and then I think also companies, you know, we need to, to do not only to talk to uh, our employees about, you know, lifelong learning and, and skills upgrade, you know, and things like, you know, whilst we can't guarantee people, you know, jobs for life, what we can do is make people you know, lifelong employable by encouraging these skills upgrades and these skill developments. Um, you know, so I think there's also that aspect from the mine from mining companies. You know, as well as giving people some time for that development. Um, you know, and, and encourage not only encouraging but but providing that space. You know, and and then I think there are some programs and courses that as a mining company, because we find that topic so important, and we might have so you know so many people applicable to that program, then maybe we should be running in-house programs as well um, to give people those opportunities to to upgrade those skills. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's a raft of things, um, but, uh, but I think it does start with, 
us coming together, you know, whether it be companies, uh, universities, even uh, tech schools, you know, because there's a lot of um, upgrades we need to do for, you know, operators, maintainers, supervisors, et cetera, about sensors, about instruments and, and other things. Um, and then, you know, potentially even, even governments, uh, because a lot of these curriculums, you know, are also uh, very influenced by by uh, the the local, sorry, state and also federal governments. Um, mm. So, with these with these advances in technology coming into the industry, do you think it would make the industry more attractive? What I found, I, I went to Mines and Money in London mm. uh, end of last year, um, and when I spoke to a few people about various things, they did sort of say mining had an image problem. Yeah. Uh, whether that's just more recently or whether it's been like that for a while, maybe when it's booming, it's got a good uh, reputation. When it's not, it hasn't. But mm. do you think it'd be more of an attractive industry with these new technologies coming into play, um, which obviously hasn't previously had a had a good image? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I think absolutely. I mean, I think technologies will help. Uh, but again, you know, these are enablers. So I think, uh, you know, getting out and – you know, making sure that people know, uh, you know, about the industry. I mean, one of the things we found when we started running hackathons, for example, and, and the intent of the hackathons really was to start engaging with young people, engaging with people that are doing some of this interesting work, making sure that they know that we've got interesting problems to solve. And, you know, we found we ended up with sort of two broad comments. One was either, you know, wow, you, we really didn't know that the mining industry had these sorts of interesting problems and, and that you'd be interested in some of the solutions we might bring. And then the flip side of that is we also used to get the sort of, gee, we thought you guys had solved all the problems and there was nothing <laughs> sort of much to do. You know, I was chuckling to myself thinking, wow, if only. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's about getting out there. It's about yeah. making sure that people know that we are prepared to put in these technologies or that we have put these technologies in because some of these technologies do make it easier, uh, you know, maybe for people who – you know, don't want to necessarily have to relocate to um, to remote communities, especially if we've we've got remote ops and and other things. Um, it might make it easier for you know single parents, you know, where, and especially I guess uh, you know um, young mothers to come into our industry, you know, who may have have time limitations. Um, but I think certainly it, we also need to get out and and show how some of these technologies or so show how some of the things that we do in the industry um, really make it a relevant industry, an industry we want to have in our backyard, you know, an industry that that adds value to society. And I think that's where we do start having an image problem and, you know, tragedies such as uh, the one that Paul Vale had uh, recently, you know, make it just that much more difficult. Um, but, you know, I think there are ways that we can try to start being a much more attractive industry we can you know change that that uh, that image that that, that young people have and, yeah. and of course young people are the the future workforce for us um but also the communities uh, that you know have of us which you know is all the same sort of uh, same sort of issue yeah i meant moving on from that what what do you think whether it's mining companies whether it's governments whether it's universities what else should they be doing to sort of attract people to the industry? Because there does seem to be a yeah. skill shortage in certain certain disciplines. Oh, there is definitely a skill shortage. I mean, you're certainly seeing enrolments in mining engineering, geology, et cetera, declining at a number of the major uh, universities that I've had contact with. Um, you know, even 
and again, this is a very Canadian um, comment, but but even things like you know welding, electrical, et cetera. You know, we've we've got school shortages in in those sorts of fields as well. Um, you know, I think I think it is a multi pronged approach. I mean, uh, upgrading curriculums, modernising curriculums, you know, modernising our approach as mining companies, and and really making sure that people know that we're an attractive industry and that we're an industry that wants to change and that has options for them. Um, you know, I think. Governments have a great convening um, ability, and so getting those groups together um, to have those sorts of discussions, I, th I think, is really important from the government side of things. Um, but you know, I think also we've got to start getting in a bit earlier as well. You know, uh, the other thing that you know is more difficult or has become more difficult is is attracting young people into some of the STEM. Um, you know, especially young women into STEM, um, you know, and we really need to start, you know, getting more into science, mathematics, engineering, et cetera, which is, you know, often the base of, of some of the um, some of the skills that we're looking for, um, but but also into, you know, into trades and, and making some of those trades really interesting and exciting uh, for young people. Yeah. Again, with all these advances of uh, technology and what, what we have been speaking about, what are the um, social changes uh, that will sort of impact the industry on on I suppose local communities, but also just so just socially as well. Yeah, so look, I, I think you know some of the the changes uh, that will will impact um, our industry. You know, we're already getting some of the changes in terms of you know even though our industry has had a great environmental improvements, um, you know I think there's there's greater demands uh, to be even more. Uh, or less impactful on the environment, mm. um, you know, which may drive us underground more, which may, um, you know, drive us to sort of look at different processing methods, et cetera. Um, you know, I think even just uh, social changes in terms of technology, you know, we all have now a supercomputer in our back pocket. We can communicate, um, you know, internationally very, very rapidly, all of us. Um, those technologies are very easy to use. You know, again, I think those come into the workplace yeah. now. You know, gone are the days of 500-page user manuals, um, yeah. you know, or, or, you know, long two-day training courses on how to use some of these things. People just don't – won't do that anymore. Um, you know, I think yeah. there is a even greater expectation. You know, again, whilst the industry has improved its health and safety record, um, I think there's a – greater expectation that we really drive uh, health and safety outcomes, you know, um, and whilst, you know, we don't think it's acceptable as an industry for people to, um, you know, to have fatalities and, and health outcomes that are that are poor, sadly, we still have some of those outcomes. And I think the rate at which we drive that change um, is going to be, you know, we have to do that faster. Um, so, I think, you know, all of those things will start putting pressure, even more pressure on our industry and, and drive our industry, um, you know, again, to I think can reconsider how we go about doing things and, and try to do that faster, um, yeah. you know, so, so taking people out of the coalface, out of underground, out of our operations, having more remote operations, you know, so again, those same people, um, you know, driving smaller footprints, um, you know, as I said, that's sort of more underground, more, you know, smaller uh, processing plants, different type of processing plants. You know, I think all of those things um, will be will be driven through those changes and expectations. Yeah. Want to move on now? Obviously, talk about a bit more company what you're involved in, and obviously, you're the chair of GMG. Mm -hmm. 
So I just want to find out a little bit more about, obviously, the function of the company, what your role is, um, and I suppose what you're looking to achieve as a as an organisation. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so GMG is a it's an industry association. It's it's member driven. Um, so we've got around about fifty members uh, worldwide. Um, we've got North American, Australian. Now, uh, members from India, from the Middle East, um, from Latin America and, and South America. None from the uh, UK yet. No, none uh, from the okay. UK yet, but we're, we're working on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, certainly um, still looking for, for additional membership, especially in China, which is a you know fast-growing mining sort of space. Um, Europe, we do have a few European um, uh, members as well. And, and it's not just mining companies, mining company services companies as well. Um, and the idea of GMG is really to uh, develop guidelines for implementation of around topics that are interesting to our member group. So in recent times, we've developed guidelines for battery electric vehicles, for automation, um, for remote operations, for interoperability, um, for um, KPIs. We're looking and, and being asked to look at uh, topics such as artificial intelligence, um, now uh, also dam um, construction, monitoring, um, et cetera, tailings dams. Especially after uh, recent events. Yeah, look, uh, mm. uh, even prior to that, but, yeah, I think the the urgency, mm. um, yeah. even more after recent events. Um, and so at GMG what we do is we, we bring groups together to, to help develop those guidelines. Um, if we know that other industry associations are also doing work, we will connect our members into those associations. So, you know, for example, the ICMM has been doing some work on tailings dam for the last sort of 12 months. Um, and and we, we have, you know, I've personally been working with them on some of those aspects. So we know that that work is happening and so we'll connect our members. So we really try not to repeat work and, in fact, be the, the connector uh, for our members of of different work that's that's happening worldwide, um, and and so my role is is as chair. Um, so I help lead the executive and the and the leadership group. Um, we have also you know permanent employees. So I'm I'm a uh, a voluntary employee, etc. Or not employee, voluntary role. Um, but uh, we also have a, a CEO. Um, we have a person that drives our projects. Um, we have a person that, that does a lot of the marketing and and the relationships with um, uh, with our members. Um, so we, you know, we've got a, a I think a five member uh, group. Um, okay. And so, do you meet every so often, or is it done sort of over maybe over Skype or any type of media like that, or you you come together every so often? Um, yeah. So look, we we use a combination of of delivery tools. So. Um, the team run workshops around the world uh, for our member groups of so physical workshops. Um, so we were about to run one in Adelaide. Uh, we're about to one, run one in Sweden. Um, we've run them in Toronto and Sudbury and, you know, different places around the world. Um, we'll do some in, in Latin America fairly soon. Um, and, and the idea of those workshops is to physically get people together to sort of discuss and work on the guidelines, share best practices, et cetera. Um, we also run um, you know, one to two day training sessions on different topics. So we recently ran one on battery electric vehicles. And, and so they're, again, physically getting people together. Um, and we also run 
um, you know, a couple of day sort of conference style where we'll get, um, you know, again around particular topics, we'll get speakers to come in and sort of talk about how did they implement, what were the the, the things that worked, what didn't work, and again, to try to help our members produce um, some of these best practices and guidelines. Um, from a, a, an organisational perspective, um, you know, as an, an executive, we meet um, a minimum of quarterly, but but often, uh, in fact, monthly. Um, and then again, that's via Skype and, and you know, video hookups. Yeah. Uh, um, the leadership group, we meet quarterly. Um, there's a physical option as well as a hook-in option. Um, and then we do have a, a leadership uh, meeting, physical meeting, once a year at our annual summit. Um, and uh, again, that's the idea is to make sure that we're, you know, we really are collaborating. We're able to have those sort of more in-depth conversations. But, you know, frankly, nowadays, the the beauty of Skype and Zoom and some of these sort of tools yeah. and techniques is you can actually be anywhere and, and really collaborate and, and have some great discussions. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, at, um, if you're looking for for more members, do uh, how do they, how do they go about doing that? And is there certain a cr- certain criteria they have to meet? Is there certain attributes they they actually need, um, or is it case by case basis? And you look at those people and then decide whether you, they can be a member or not. Yeah, so look, the, the main thing is that people really want to be involved and, and want to uh, engage. And we have different grades of membership as well. Um, so anybody can participate, come to the workshops and, and engage. And on the GMG website, um, they'll be able to see, um, you know, where those workshops are and, and, and the register and, and stump along. Um, then in terms of members, um, there is a, a financial commitment uh, un- to be a member. Um, and that allows them to then help decide which topics uh, we work on. Um, and then similarly to be in the leadership group, um, that just helps us uh, to be a, a part of that leadership group. Um, you really get to sort of help steer the organisation um, and some of the resources and commitments. Um, but, you know, really anyone can can be a member um, as long as they're prepared to contribute. Uh, if they want to be a member, please, you know, contact us either on the through the website, uh, contact me or Heather Edney, who's the CEO via LinkedIn, um, and we'll make sure that you're hooked into the right people. And and we certainly would, would love uh, a greater membership across uh, across the globe so that we really can make sure that these guidelines, um, you know, cater for global implementations. Okay, um, that's good. Um, lastly, before we just go into a, a quick fire quick fire round, um, obviously, at the recording of this, um, there's a lot of people, and obviously, you used to work for Barrick Gold. There's yes. obviously a lot of, uh, over the recent days, a lot of talk about Barrick looking to acquire Newmont. Um, I just wonder what your thoughts are around that, having worked for Barrick. Yeah, so so look, I'm I'm uh, not privy to any of the uh, the thoughts of uh, you know the uh, the executive team of of Barrick Gold, but. Um, yeah. You know, it certainly would uh, would make a monolithic uh, gold company if uh, if that did happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, what Newmont's thirty billion and uh, and uh, the new barrack is uh, is around about that size as well. Um, maybe just slightly slightly less. Uh, so that would be certainly a massive organisation. Yeah. Uh, for somebody to to manage. Wouldn't they have a monopoly? Would they be seen as having a monopoly if it, if that was to happen? I don't think no one's even actually mentioned that, but. They're going to obviously be that big. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Um, 
you know, I think in the gold mining industry, there are so many gold mining companies yeah. that it, it would still be quite um, dispersed. Um, you know, it wouldn't be like uh, iron ore, for example, where you do have a couple of very major players um, in, the, in the gold mining, in the supply side. Yeah. Um, and, and gold purchasing is so dispersed as well. I, I, I'm not sure it would... Yeah. change that dynamic but you know i'd have to i'd have to think about yeah. that okay no worries i thought i'll ask that question because it's obviously a hot to- hot topic at the moment <laughs> so right we'll all well, have to wait and see how yeah we'll have out. to wait and see when when this gets when this gets released then uh obviously there's going to be a there could be different a different scenario and obviously yeah. it may have happened or it may not have happened so yeah we'll have to wait and see um <laughs> so i just want to slowly wrap this up so i just want to do give you a few uh, quick fire questions sure. um why do you enjoy working in the mining sector? Uh, so, look, I love working in the mining industry because it really does change the outcomes for people. You know, I have seen, you know, communities come out of poverty as a result of of mining and mining operations. You know, I think it is one of those few industries that goes into places that are rural and, you know, as I said, struggling and and you know, full of poverty. Um, and can come out of that having built communities, built towns, built cities. Um, and, you know, I think that is true historically. You know, Australia is a great example of what happens post a gold rush. Yeah. Um, you know, even 20 years after the gold rush, we were building banks and roads. And, and before that, we were, you know, a, a fairly sort of um, small sort of settlement um, so, you know, I, I'm really proud of those sorts of contributions that the mining industry makes. And I mm. think going forward, we can do even more because, yep. you know, as I said, these technologies now can not only benefit the the mining company, but the community. So, a, you know, a small example, we bring in sensors and AI and, and other predictive tools to really understand our impact on the environment. So we understand the rain, the water, the soil, et cetera. Most of the communities we work in are agricultural. So that same data and information could be potentially used and shared with the communities mm-hmm. to help increase their agricultural production. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're the sorts of things I'm really proud of. Yeah. Um, who's been the most influential person on your career, would you say? Uh, whether it's one, whether it's a few. Yeah, look, I've had so many. I've been so lucky in my career. Um, you know, I've had really not only influential mining managers when I was very early in my career that sort of made me get um, some supervisory leadership, you know, or sent me overseas to really understand, you know, how overseas companies and countries functioned um, or, you know, others that took a, a you know, a, a bet on me when, um, you know, I moved into the petrochemical industry and, you know, I really knew nothing about PVC manufacturing, but I had some, right. some leadership skills um, and gave me a great insight, to not only how PVC, you know, worked and was produced, but but more importantly, that particular example, uh, how private equity worked. Um, hmm. You know, I've had great opportunities to, uh, to work with some of really wonderful, um, as I said, Eastern style leaders, um, you know, in China Min Metals especially, and, and with, with Mitsubishi who have some fabulous, um, some l- fabulous leaders in Japan and, and around the world. Um, so, you know, I've, I've really had a, a, a range of, of people influence me, which yeah. has been fantastic. Or, you yeah. know, more recently, my barrack experience working with, with John Thornton and others um, yeah. who really have uh, given me opportunities so it's been fantastic yeah, well, that's good to hear um is there anything else you still want to achieve 
there is so much I still want to achieve, okay. which is which is lucky because I figure I'm going to be working till I'm 75. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> as long as you enjoy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I would love to see, as we've been talking about, the transformation of the mining industry that, yeah. you know, it, it has a reputation that um, that we all can absolutely be, be proud of and that communities are as proud of us as we are of, of the things that we've changed and we've done, um, you know, that is much more modernised, that has zero fatalities, that, uh, you know, doesn't have the, the health, health outcomes. We've, we've given people remote um, roles to do that is, uh, you know, adding value to, to communities and governments and, and to our stakeholders uh, in a way that we can't imagine, you know, yeah. currently. Yeah. And how do you see the future of mining, say, over the next five or ten years? Yeah, so especially look, I, around with what we, I suppose around what we have been talking about. Yeah, so look, I, I think it's got a really bright future. Um, I do think the rate of change will will just continue to accelerate. Um, I think the technologies that we will use to to enable those rate of change. Um, I think again that will we will accelerate the rate of implementation of those. Um, you know, and I think we will start to see some of the things that I've described where, you know, we don't have people in in high-risk roles. We don't have them in, um, you know, potentially in underground operations. Um, they're working more remotely. Um, you know, I think we will start to see those changes. We will start to see, you know, more um, electrification um, of our industry as well, um, you know, less diesel. And especially as that becomes the more norm, um, outside of the industry on our roads, et cetera. You know, so I think a lot of that will start changing and, and we'll start seeing a very different industry, uh, yeah. which is going to be great. Yeah. And lastly, um, what advice would you give someone that probably wants to take a similar path in terms of the discipline that you're involved in, innovation? What what advice would you give them um, in how they can probably get into that space? Um, what, what should they be doing this may be speaking to people that may be a little bit younger. Um, yep. What kind of things should they be doing? So, look, I, I think certainly, um, you know, getting some experience in in some of these new technologies and, and some understanding of some of these new technologies, um, keeping that inquisitive and open sort of mindset um, because I think one of the things with innovation is I'm constantly challenging not only my team and, and the, the mining companies that I work with, but but even, my you know, myself. Yeah. You know, why do I think it has to be that way? Um, yeah. So I think, you know, that open mindset, that challenging and, and um, inquisitive mindset is as important to develop to and to show people that you have. Um, and then t I think take some roles, get involved in the industry, you know, understand the pain points and the, the uh, you know, how people actually work in the industry now, you know, which means you, you do have to get onto site, see see how things work um, and then, you know, get involved in some of those projects um, yeah. and those improvement projects yeah. uh, for sure. Is there any courses or any, any additional, even if they're short-term courses, like a few days here, a few days there, is there any courses that they could potentially look at? Yeah, look, I mean, there are some great courses, um, something as, as sophisticated as a, you know, a master's in uh, management analytics, such as the one that Queen University uh, runs, but there, there's others. Yeah. Um, there's also, as I said, some great online courses. So, if they look up EDX, um, they do sort of small micro modules on, you know, AI and programming and robotics and, and all of these sorts of things, which are really easy to take um, and, and you, you can build up that portfolio yeah. as you sort of... Um, go. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
that's the end of uh, come to the end of that. Um, really appreciate your time, Michelle, for taking the time to, to obviously discuss your career and obviously talk about the many changes that are coming into the industry and coming into play um, that are obviously going to change the uh, the mining landscape. So, um, yeah. if our audience wants to contact you and get some more information from yourself, how can yeah. they go about doing that? Um, the easiest thing is find me on LinkedIn. Um, there's uh, it's pretty easy to find M- Michelle Ash and. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, reach out and, and I'll respond. Yeah. And obviously they can have a look at uh, the G, GMG website yes. as well. So have, exactly. have, you, have you got that exact web address? Uh, that is a very good question that I'll have to actually look at. <laughs> <up. laughs> um, I mean, alternatively, you can contact myself um, and I can pass any messages on to Michelle. My email address is rob at mining-international.org. And have you got that address? Oh, hang on. You were going to buy me more time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so it is gmggroup.org. Okay, so obviously either contact Michelle via LinkedIn or via that web address or even uh, by myself. So, um, well, thank you for listening. hope you enjoyed the podcast. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining!